0: Chapter v of thomas hobbes by alfred edward taylor this librivox recording is in the public domain the powers of the sovereign that the legitimate powers of a sovereign are absolute and that all resistance to his authority must be a breach of covenant and therefore unjust are consequences which follow directly from hobbes's conception of the fundamental conditions of social existence the sovereign has in fact been authorized by me if i am a member of the commonwealth to make what regulations he thinks fit for the preservation of order and peace and to use the whole physical force of the community to punish or prevent violations of those regulations refusal to obey or resistance to the execution of the sovereign's command is thus a distinct breach of my given promise and against the law of nature that is the rational consideration that covenants ought to be kept that is that the making of them is useless unless they are kept hence the duty of unconditional obedience on the part of the subject but there is no corresponding duty on the part of the sovereign he has been expressly authorized to make such regulations as he thinks fit and consequently no violation of compact can be pleaded against him no matter what commands he may think good to issue hobbes throws this latter part of his argument which aims at justifying the stuart claim of irresponsibility of the kings of england to their subjects into a curiously artificial form the argument by which the sovereign is set up is he says one between each individual member of a crowd and every other there has been no agreement between the whole community as such on the one part and the sovereign on the other before the creation of the leviathan in fact the community has no corporate existence as such and the sovereign is as yet no sovereign but only one man or a number of men among others and therefore there are no such parties as sovereign and public to bargain with one another or even if we suppose that the person finally created sovereign had procured his nomination by private bargaining with individual members of the crowd yet when once he has been declared sovereign all these bargains become invalid since he now as sovereign has the right to say what agreements shall or shall not be considered binding hence no act of a sovereign towards any of his subjects can be unjust in a commonwealth justice in fact simply means observing the rules of conduct which the sovereign has laid down leviathan one hundred eighteen but if i plead that i was not a party to the original agreement of every man with every man to accept this particular sovereign and to acknowledge his acts as if they were my own then he is not my sovereign at all and i am no member of the society which as such is created by his elevation towards him and them i am still in the state of nature and may without injustice be treated as an enemy and subject to all that is incidental to the war of all against all it follows that a sovereign once instituted can in no case be guilty of an injustice towards any of his subjects and hobbes bids us take note that in the psalm which according to the notions of the seventeenth century expresses david's penitence for adultery and murder no acknowledgment is made that the author had done a wrong to uriah in first corrupting his wife and then compassing his death it is for sin against god that the psalmist entreats forgiveness not for wrong done to man so hobbes concludes it is the teaching of scripture as well as of reason that the ruler can never be unjust to his subject and therefore never lawfully accused judged or condemned by those who have themselves agreed to take his orders as the measure of just and unjust still it is admitted a ruler may abuse his power as david did and if this is not injustice to the subject it is at least iniquity for which the ruler is amenable to the judgment of god though the action be against the law of nature as being contrary to equity as was the killing of uriah by david yet it was not an injury to uriah but to god not to uriah because the right to do what he pleased was given him by uriah himself and yet to god because david was god's subject and prohibited all iniquity by the law of nature which distinction david himself when he repented the fact evidently confirmed saying to thee only have i sinned leviathan one hundred twenty one as in a former case this suggestion of a divine judgment to which even the irresponsible sovereign is amenable leaves us in a perplexing uncertainty how far it is a concession to the weaknesses of orthodox readers or how far it may represent a genuine feeling on the writer's part that there is after all a moral authority more ancient and august than the various leviathans men have made for themselves it must not of course be supposed that it is only a monarch who can be absolute hobbes is careful to point out that it follows from his theory of the social compact That every government when once duly established whatever its form may be is clothed with the same absolute authority over its subjects indeed it is in the case of a democracy that is a state in which the whole assembly of citizens is itself the sovereign body that he thinks the fact of absolute authority most patent when an assembly of men is made sovereign then no man imagineth any such covenant to have passed in the institution for no man is so dull as to say for example the people of rome made a covenant with the romans to hold the sovereignty on such and such conditions which not performed the romans might lawfully depose the roman people that men see not the reason to be alike in a monarchy and in a popular government proceedeth from the ambition of some that are kinder to the government of an assembly whereof they may hope to participate than of monarchy which they despair to enjoy leviathan one hundred eighteen Hobbes is however of opinion that of all forms of government monarchy best answers the purpose for which sovereignty is instituted and that for several reasons one a monarch's private interest is more intimately bound up with the interests of his subjects than can be the case with the private interests of the members of a sovereign assembly the riches power and honor of a monarch arise only from the riches strength and reputation of his subjects whereas in a democracy or aristocracy the public prosperity confers not so much to the private fortune of one that is corrupt as doth many times a perfidious advice a treacherous action civil war ibid one hundred nineteen a sentence upon which the history of the relations of the restored stuarts with the court of france surely affords an entertaining commentary Two a monarch is freer to receive advice from all quarters and to keep that advice secret than an assembly Three, whereas the resolutions of a monarch are subject only to the inconstancy of human nature those of an assembly are exposed to a further inconstancy arising from disagreement between its members monarchy thus offers the maximum of security for continuity of policy for a monarch cannot disagree with himself out of envy or interest but an assembly may and that to such a height as may produce a civil war ibid 119 against these advantages of monarchy may be pleaded two disadvantages one the ill effects produced by the influence of flatterers and favourites with the monarch and two the disorders which arise when the monarchy descends to an infant or an imbecile these however are discounted by considering one that flatterers and favourites in the form of interested demagogues are as common in popular as in monarchical government and under the former have more power to do harm and less to do good than under the latter for to accuse requires less eloquence such as man's nature than to excuse and condemnation than absolution more resembles justice leviathan one hundred, nineteen, and that the powers of an infant or imbecile monarch can always be placed in the hands of a qualified body of regents and therefore any disturbances that arise must be attributed not to the inherent defects of monarchical government but to the ambition of subjects and ignorance of their duty Ibid. as we have already seen hobbes's conception of human nature and the ends of action precludes his reckoning with what a more idealistic philosophy would probably regard as the chief objection to despotism even when it is both benevolent and capable viz the conviction that freedom and self-government are in themselves goods of the highest order and that a slight increase in efficiency is dearly bought by their sacrifice from the principle that all authority is in its nature absolute hobbes has no difficulty in vindicating for the english crown the leading powers which had been challenged by the puritan revolution in particular we may note one that the monarch is in no wise bound to govern in modern phrase in accord with the acts of parliament parliament is merely a body called together by the monarch to advise him as to the state of the kingdom and the measures to be taken for the common peace the claim of an elected parliament to be in a special sense the representative of the people is entirely unfounded the people are already completely represented by their sovereign the monarch and consequently cannot be represented over again what powers parliament has it enjoys simply as a voluntary gift on the part of the real representative of the people who is therefore free to follow its advice to reject it or to promulgate laws of his own without consulting it as he thinks best ibid one hundred twenty two two the monarch has likewise the right to supreme command of all the forces of the community by land and sea he has been instituted to take charge of the common peace and therefore must be understood to be entrusted with the means necessary to the execution of the task thus the demand of the long parliament for control of the militia was an act of usurpation three the monarch again has the sole right to levy taxes at his own discretion a right specially insisted upon by hobbes with reference to the controversy about ship money for he has also the right arising from his position as the authority from whom all the rules of justice emanate of hearing and deciding all controversies which may arise concerning law either civil or natural or concerning fact leviathan 118 since apart from this right there is no protection of one subject against another it would follow then that the opposition to the extraordinary jurisdiction of the star chamber the ecclesiastical commission and the council of the north was entirely illegitimate Five, the monarch also has and this is the most important point of all the sole right to judge what opinions in church and state may safely be tolerated for it is his function as keeper of the general peace to be judge of what opinions and doctrines are averse and what conducing to peace it follows therefore that it is for him and for him alone to decide on what occasions how far and what men are to be trusted withal in speaking to multitudes of people and who shall examine the doctrines of all books before they be published for the actions of men proceed from their opinions and in the well-governing of men's opinions consisteth the well governing of men's actions in order to their peace and concord leviathan one hundred eighteen of the bearing of this conclusion upon hobbes's views of the ecclesiastical supremacy of the sovereign i shall have something to say in the next chapter it must be observed that the highly doctrinaire character of this defence of the royalist position at once lays it open to a damaging attack which hobbes does nothing to meet he has proved conclusively if you grant the truth of his peculiar view of human nature that peace and concord are only attainable in political society he has also shown that in every political society there must be somewhere a centre of authority endowed with plenary powers and only restrained in the exercise of them by the consideration that governmental authority pushed beyond a certain point will provoke rebellion and so defeat its own ends what he has not proved but is content simply to assume is that as a matter of historical fact this plenitude of power is under the constitution of england reposed in the person of the king or in other words that the government of england is really a monarchy in his sense of the term now this was precisely what the parliamentarian statesmen denied according to them the powers of the english crown were in point of fact and had always been circumscribed by a superior authority which is described for example in the petition of right as the laws and statutes of the realm the laws and customs of this realm and they had as we know sound historical reasons to urge in support of this view of the case as hobbes never takes issue on the historical question his leading opponents would have been perfectly justified in calling his argument as applied to the proceedings of the parliamentarians an elaborate ignoratio elenchi the question at issue between charles i and hampton or pym Was not whether the ultimate seat of authority in england is absolute or not but where that seat of authority lies hobbes's evasion of the real question throws a flood of light upon the fundamental weakness of the theory which treats government as legitimated by contract such a hard and fast theory is bound to be at some point or other discrepant with the actual facts of the historical situation a constitution is not a thing which is made once for all by the wisdom of a particular set of persons it is something which grows up gradually under all sorts of perceptible and imperceptible influences at any given time the various formulae by which it is described by those who live under it are sure to be only imperfectly consistent with one another nay further since the formulae for the most part are things devised to fit a past state of affairs which continue to be repeated long after the situation they describe has been profoundly modified in fact they are almost certain to be largely false when accepted as an account of the stage of development actually reached long before they lose their inherited prestige and of development and progress as great social facts hobbes as we saw has as good as no conception from his examination of the powers of the sovereign hobbes advances to a consideration of the liberties of the subject one might be tempted to think that the latter must be non-existent in such a scheme as his but there are certain inevitable limits even to the most unrestricted absolutism and there are others which suggest themselves as soon as absolutism itself is treated as only defensible on a utilitarian basis what these limits are according to hobbes is explained in chapter twenty one of the leviathan the liberty of the subject is simply that part of the supposed original right of every man to everything of which he cannot possibly have divested himself or of which he cannot be supposed to have divested himself without defeating his purpose in entering into the social compact viz the preservation of himself he is free then one to refuse even when commanded by the sovereign to kill or maim himself or to submit without resistance to those who are charged to kill or maim him two, to refuse to confess a crime except upon previous promise of pardon three to refuse to execute an order to kill another man and more generally to decline any dangerous or dishonorable office by executing which he imperils that very self-preservation for the sake of which he has entered into social life on this ground hobbes justifies the refusal of men of feminine courage like himself to do personal service as soldiers provided they are ready to furnish a sufficient substitute even a band of rebels he holds may without injustice refuse to capitulate except on a promise of pardon to these elementary liberties we subsequently find added complete liberty of conscience so far as private thoughts are concerned thought is absolutely free simply because it is impossible to subject it the expression of thought in words as we have seen is not free at all it being for the sovereign to decide what thoughts may be made public without danger to the peace it is only to be added that the authority of a sovereign of course only lasts so long as he is able to ensure the general safety for no covenant can deprive a man of his right to protect himself when he has no other protector political allegiance is therefore terminated the life of the leviathan extinguished when a monarch is captured in war and purchases his personal liberty by submission to the conqueror or when he voluntarily releases his subjects from their obedience and so declares that he no longer embodies the public will for self-protection End of chapter five